Wasn't that pretty? Atlantis Awakes from the Stargate Atlantis soundtrack. Okay, I'm just jumping in now to apologise for the audio quality of this podcast. The primary recording failed, so I had to mix and match with audio from the other sources recorded from our various guests. It didn't quite turn out as well as I'd hoped, but at least we didn't have to record the whole thing again. So please bear with us and enjoy. Good day and tervatoala and welcome to the Stagate Atlantis wrap-up episode. As per usual, these things don't necessarily have numbers, but we have guest plural. So, guys, I'm sure you can sort an order out between yourselves. Don't everyone talk at once. <laughs> it's Thomas. And Brad from Australia. Hi, guys. How are you? Very good. Very good. Needing a cup of coffee. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with all the confusion, the uh, uh, the confusion. <laughs> I'm sort of hoping to get a food order in, get eaten, and then I have to pop on to do the Red Draw intercast, and I'm operating on about four hours sleep, and maybe a total of 12 since Thursday. Fun. Well, hopefully we are not here in three hours' time. <laughs> yes, hopefully not. Well, I'll try not to doze off during the recording. Good. <laughs> Right then, as as we did for Stargate SG-1, these are some very simple questions we'll each be answering, taking a general look at Stargate Atlantis. We've covered each season in depth beforehand. If you want to, you haven't listened to those episodes, feel free to check them out. But at the moment, I think we've got, how many have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We've got nine, nine questions. We've all been given the questions beforehand, so hopefully we're not going to be sitting here with lots of dead air trying to think up an answer. <laughs> Why do I get the impression that was directed at me? In in fairness, Mike, (laughs) if there's one thing I do not provide, it's dead air. (laughs) That's true. I can prevaricate and fill with the best of them. Yes, I'm sorry, folks, but I did cut out the adventures of the mattress and the the storage locker, (laughs) which (laughs) you'll just have to use your imagination to figure out. This is the show where we'll be announcing the poll results. The actual prize draw will be done at a slightly later date. I want to do that a bit closer to when we actually release the episode. Mm-hmm. So uh, the little surprise doesn't get out or anything. I am the very soul of discretion. Well, you never know, do you? Someone tweets something up before you know it, that's it, it's gone. Right then, we shall begin. First up on the list was the favourite or the best episode, but we're going to save that till last because I think that might actually generate a lot more discussion and ties into uh, the poll, of course. Save the best till last. Yes. So we'll start with the next on the list, which is our favourite regular character. And by regular, I was meaning opening credit sequence. But even that can vary depending upon which season you're watching. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give and take a lot on this one, I think. Anybody want to start? Younger. Did you get it down to five, Brad? I got it down to one. I was very behaved this time. My number one would have to be the great Dr. Rodney McKay. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, even from his early days in SG-1, once they finally got him into Atlantis, slight character change, still arrogant, a brilliant scientist. One of the things I really appreciate about him is he really seems to be the glue to the Atlantis teams, brings sort of everybody together and is the glue that holds the entire expedition together, it seems. Yeah, especially once you get to um, sort of the Shroud. Uh, no, not- Shrine. Yeah. The Shrine, yeah. yeah. Once you get up to those episodes where it really comes out. I, I will admit he has one of my favourite character moments, which is that painting that the little girl does. With <laughs> John cowering in the background and him all heroic with the gun. And, oh, not Rodney. 
<laughs> One of the reasons I went for Rod McKay, Rodney Meredith McKay, it depends how you want to call him Meredith if you want. That's, well, that's one of the reasons is the relationship with his sister Janine in the show that helped as well. But as Brad said, when he first appeared in SG1, there was nothing to like about him. You could laugh at him, his haphazard attempts at impressing Samantha Carter. But when he moved to Atlantis, already he'd grown a bit. He'd just spent six months in Siberia, which kind of tempered him a little. And throughout each season, he grew, he became more of a rounded character. He learned how to defend himself. He learned how to use weapons. And for all the petty, petulant little traits he had, right till the end, you look at the show and realise how many people considered him a friend, how many people he considered mm -hmm. friends. All of them. Yeah. And when Rod McKay came over, the life and soul of the party, you know, and he was feeling left out because Rod was everything he wanted to be. Until the people says, we prefer you. We don't like this big boisterous one who brags about everything because our Rodney ultimately is very down to earth. Yeah, now you mentioned I want to see one of our series of Rodney in Siberia. Just the, the Russians just frowning at him when he's trying to joke. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to be the voice of dissent here. Go on then. I've tried to do with this what I did with the previous wrap up, which is not go for the thing that people obviously think I'm going to go for. So, and you might argue it's not a regular character. Uh, Carson. I was putting him down as a recurring character, but not a, the main character. I just like Carson. If only think he brings out in the same way that playing someone at a game that you're an expert at who has no idea of the strategy can force you to rethink things. I think he really brought aspects of Rodney's character out and improved it overall. You know, having a close friend and his death. Oh, seriously, impact. It was a. I mean, for, for a guy who wasn't in that many episodes and had very few actual episodes about him, that was just a huge... It spurred the entire Bring Back Carson, uh, bring back, uh, you know, Carson Beckett. And he was a, a loved character by everybody. Sunday, I'm guessing it's going to turn up on a lot of people's favourite episodes. Yeah. His dear old mum back home. Yeah. <laughs> mm. He had Turtle too, didn't he? I thought it was a cat. No, Rodney yeah. had a cat. No, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to save him for an honourable mention on recurring character my other guy because the problem is I, I have one particular character who could fit about four different categories well at least three anyway yeah mm. that's why i said we're gonna have to be a little little bit give and take on these some shows you get regular characters that are there right from day one right through the recurring ones come in for half a season and disappear atlantis kind of mixed it up especially with woolsey and then well sam first then woolsey taking over so if they're there for they come in in a later season they're there for the whole season and so you got to look at it the five seasons, not just one. Mm-hmm. So basically, I, am I the sole voice of Carson? For this moment. Yeah. <laughs> there is no wrong answer, though. That's the beauty of it. Okay, then we'll move on to uh, the recurring character. And I'm going to jump in on this one. Go on. Radic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just, one as well. If only for the messages home one. Yes, that, that is the anything confidential. No, 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 no. Not the, of course. Well, that's where he made his mark, isn't it? Yeah. He was a foil and almost a straight man for Rodney to play off. Because God knows. The man has said, I know people who, if they if they were treated like that by Rodney, he'd have decked them. The man had the uh, patience uh, of a saint. I'll definitely have a uh, dartboard up with their face on it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dartboard be and he's a, he'd have a raced stunner and a 3D printed copy of Rodney. <laughs> I would have to go at this point either Beckett or Raddick. Both of them 
Beck was never as regular as as a lot of them, so I, I considered him more of a recurring character. And yeah, Sunday that explains it right there. Period with Beckett, his interactions with everybody, what he you know his friendship with McKay and what he yeah pulled out of McKay. You know, that's completely different and an amazing character. Yep, can't argue with that at all for the pretty much same reasons that uh, Alan had earlier. Yeah. And, of course, Raddick, because, I mean, he did put up with McKay in many, many circumstances where he should have, as Alan said, decked him. That's where the show really benefited from the fact that David was born and raised in the Czech Republic. He could drop into his native language and <laughs> not make it sound real. It was real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you think that's exactly what this sort of character would do. He wouldn't confront him. He would mumble behind his back saying, God knows what. Mm-hmm. Letters from Pegasus was inspired, one of the funniest scenes in Stargate Atlantis ever, in Stargate as a whole. Apart from that, again, he went on to prove himself. He did some incredibly brave things. He got a spacesuit on and did a spacewalk to repair the city. He, yeah, John Froome. Yeah. <laughs> he went through the air ducts and fell headfirst into one of the main power rooms, you know. Oh, he had to put up with the kids <laughs> the on that planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he got locked in the transporter with Sam Carter and talked about pigeons. How could you not <laughs> like a bloke like that? <laughs> he only back... copped a look while he was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just even the back and forth between him and Rodney, like, as much as they butted heads, um, like, he got electrocuted in tail. Rodney Rodney saved him when he had the uh, ancient knowledge. And yep. They're just back and forth, and he was always sort of working behind the scenes, even if he knew Rodney was incorrect or wrong about something, just so he could save the day and not take credit for it, just to fix Rodney's uh, missteps. <laughs> So who was actually the smarter, Rodney or Erratic? Hmm, good question. <laughs> Theoretically, I think Rodney would have the edge. Practically, uh, I think yeah. Radek could do more with his hands. They needed to retake the test again. <laughs> <laughs> so at the risk of using the analogy, which I don't think Mike will necessarily get because he doesn't watch the show, Radek is Howard to Rodney Sheldon. Yeah, that could be, yeah. The more applied versus the theoretical. The problem when Rodney applies things is he tends to blow up solar systems. Yes, that he does. Reddy couldn't save him from that one. He tried. I don't think anybody could have saved him from that one. Again, though, with Beckett, made an instant hit with the fans in the first season. Surprising he wasn't in the opening credits. He got the incredible groundswell of opinion to bring the character back after his early demise, which they did in a most unusual way. Yeah. Again, it surprised how many times you think, well, Radek was in a lot more episodes than Carson was. It's quite surprising. But both of them left a very, very solid mark when I was going through. I knew Rabbit was going to be my number one, but I thought Major Lorne, as a recurring character, mm. did well at the end of the end of the show. Kate Heitmeyer, the psychiatrist, she played a very good part. She went out the window. <laughs> she was a psychologist in a science fiction show who actually practiced her profession. You know? mm. And you had scenes. Always bothered me with TNG. We had a counsellor who very rarely did any of that on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. Colonel yeah. Caldwell, of course. Yeah. Pelleggi. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. But right. Radek is, for me, head and shoulders, one of the best going characters. Councillor Cleavage. <laughs> oh, one more, which yeah. I would have loved to have picked. Peter Groden from the first season. Craig Veroni. He were in nine episodes. He was the scientist who sacrificed himself on the weapons platform ah, yes. when the raid ah, were coming. Yeah. Still one of the bravest acts of anybody within Atlantis. He saved Rodney. Imagine if Rodney had died then. He could have too, if they weren't mm-hmm. going to set him up to be a major character. Yeah. 
even now, when, sure. whenever I, I rewatch the Siege trilogy, that one act, you're proud of the bloke, you know? <laughs> mm. Right. Shall we move on to <laughs> favourite guest character? There are lots and lots. <laughs> and I went through the list. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember. Yep, yep. <laughs> Good God. So this could be any character that's been in maybe one or two episodes, three and four, if it's spread over the entire five seasons. I've picked mine. I know who I'm going to pick, but I've got a list of about a dozen others I could easily have picked as well. Yeah. I believe it's Thomas's turn to go first. Mine will probably, if I had to pick one, be Todd. He's he's not exactly a enemy, but he's not exactly an ally. He's just sort of that, you know, he helps you whenever it's in his best interest. And he, you know, the introduction of him and Shepard there together in the prison. And it, he's just a really interesting character overall. No question about that. Christopher Hill did a fantastic job. And Todd's one of those characters that covers so many segments of the show. Best mm-hmm. villain, best regular character, best recurring character, guest character. Mm. Some people might even dislike him. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, and I'll mention I was tempted, but again, a little too. I'm... Honorable mention, I, I don't care if he's... Uh, he counts as a guest character for the limited number of episodes he pops up in, which is Daniel. Mm. If only for that two and a half factor. Yep. But if you squeeze me, and bear in mind, I, I was thinking about this being incredibly sleep deprived and trying to prop myself up with caffeine about three hours ago, I'm going to go Rodney's sister. Can't go wrong there either, yeah. Because they really, ju- they play, again, I, I like how Rodney is reflected by and improved by other people in his life and they just play off each other so well. The fact that they are brother and sister in real life probably doesn't hurt. She's very clearly cleverer than he is and he has great difficulty in handling that. Yeah, Kate Hewlett playing Jeannie Miller was pretty much inspired casting. The producers didn't realise she was an actress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the you actually see the real brother sister interaction in the episode, and you know, I see that's how they would act in real life, even. Yeah, bringing that sibling fighting back and forth to the screen, it sort of can't act that it's natural. Well, Jared Pileski and uh, Jensen Ackles manage it, despite the fact that I'm six seasons behind. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to contradict you there. We haven't heard from you, Brad. I looked and I looked and I looked and I uh, I had trouble with this one. I'm going to go pre-season three, Woolsey. More for his appearance in the return two-parter. Do alongside Jack, trying to take back the city from the replicators. Um, uh, I don't know if he counts as a guest, given that he was a credits character for a whole season. Yeah, yeah I know, I'm sort of forgetting that season. <laughs> This is the opportunity to get a character in you want you couldn't get in earlier because you picked somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm sorry, I didn't put a lot of thought into that one. <laughs> we could, uh, if you're going to do that, we could not unreasonably argue Jack. Favorite guest character, Richard Dean Anderson mm. playing Jack O'Neill. Yeah. He would fit this perfectly. Okay, all right. RDA in the return two part. <laughs> <laughs> He's returned to Stargate after two years. Nah. And about twenty eight pounds a week. Yeah. Woolsey and Jack together were brilliant. They yeah. were fantastic together. It helped that they had some interaction on SG-1. Then again, you think, Jack did do the underwater scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard did go swimming. But speaking about Woolsey's character, the development of him across SG-1 and into SGA, because I remember the first time I saw him, I hated his character. He's like, <laughs> oh, my God. It was almost as bad as Kinsey. Then, you know, especially when he got into Atlantis and became the leader of the team, you see him go from, okay, can't do this by the book, otherwise we're never going to be able to do anything. So we have mm. to 
you know, make it up as we go along, basically, you know, try to play within the rules. But, you know, sometimes we got to throw the rule book out and just do it. Yeah. Character did have a very good arc. Totally unexpected. First off, he was doing the audit on whether it's worth deploying, you know, military assets to bring back one person. Simple numbers. No, it didn't. Finally, he turns his back on Kinsey, starts building some bridges. IOA, boo, hiss. And before you know it, he's in charge of Atlantis. And as you said, quickly realized that the rule book didn't apply in some cases. My favorite guest character, I considered Jamie Ray Newman, who played Lieutenant Cadman. I considered Kate Hewlett. I definitely considered Jill Wagner, who played Larry. I even considered Richard Kind, who played Lucius Lavin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harmony, of course. Peter Kavanaugh, Ben yeah, Cotton. Kavanaugh, yeah. <laughs> Major Teldy from The Excellent Whispers. Vanessa Conrad, because it's Anna Galvin. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. And if you want to throw in Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye mm-hmm. as well. Mm. <laughs> but I went for none of them. Favourite guest character. He was in one episode. Two, if you count it as a, a double. Robert Patrick, Colonel Marshall Sumner. Mm. He made that episode. He was the big name they brought in to get the headlines. He was the sacrificial lamb. You're going to come on. You're going to be. You play this role to perfection. He's a professional actor. He mm-hmm. did everything that was required of him. And when the time came, he passed the cap of command over to John Shepard. I thought it was a fantastic role for Robert Patrick. And he played the colonel to perfection. Yep. Great. Quiet. Mm-hmm. Dead air. Dead air. <laughs> fill it, Alan. Fill it. With what? Are we, I mean, are we done then? <laughs> because... Are we done? Yes. Your opinion. This is the guy, I'm assuming, again, horrendously sleep deprived. This is the guy from the first episode? Yes. Yes, that's what I thought. I did consider him. I mean, it showed us, it introduced our main villain. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, indirectly led to events in the trial. And if which the rest can take down Terminator, then screwed. <laughs> which was a standout episode for Wolsey. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I don't know if you can really consider this character a guest character, probably more of a recurring character, but one that I hoed around, tossed around, was Dual State's character. Yeah, Jennifer Keller. Yeah. Her character, a lot like Beckett, Raddick, you know, the interactions, especially later on season five with McKay, you see McKay change. You know, he, he falls in love with her. Well, that's it. He lost out with Katie Brown, who would have been perfect for him. Mm-hmm. But the writers played it so that the reasoning they gave made sense. Whether or not they knew they wanted to use the new Doctor for that role, that kind of got mixed up with Ronan Fanchiner as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. We had a bit of fun with that. (laughs) Jennifer was kind of the more aggressive. You owe me a drink and you're going to take me out for a drink. These questions, I knew they would be difficult because the whole series was brilliant. Such a large cast too, like a lot larger than what SG1 was. Right, then we'll move on to another (laughs) best villain or favourite villain. Quite a few of these as well. Mm -hmm. Probably could have gone back to my favourite guest star, but I went for uh, Collier. I think it's Augustus Collier, even though he's only in, like, three episodes. Name dropped a lot in later episodes, but not uh, actually on screen. We haven't talked too much about Shepard yet, but he was always one step ahead, and he was a ruthless commander. Whenever he was on screen, you knew someone was going to (laughs) die. Yes, he didn't hesitate to kill to reach his goal. I suppose you could argue that that's what you'd expect from somebody on a military mission. They've got a plan, not going to take prisoners, it's going to slow them down. Storm when they came through the gate, shot those two guards, cold, dead, no worries, die hard in, in space, if you would, and the uh, the rivalry between uh, Collier and John. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Robert Davy played Costas Holdier, the uh, Janai commander. I'm sensing this is probably Mike's favourite as well, because you always got really, really happy whenever he popped up. Using him from a height. I think Big Bogey. Could have done. Yeah, I bet it, was, it was on the list. Like mm-hmm. There's more villains that were sort of had more screen time that you could probably pick. Yeah. Since I've interjected anyway, honourable mention, I suppose, would go to everyone's favourite half-wraith hybrid entire purpose of half the season four and five arc. I would go with him for my mention period because he's Connor Trenier, he does an excellent job with Michael. You see him outcast from the race, but then he goes to lead the race. Michael's character, you hate him. You know, he, he ends up, you know, what he does with Taylor and, and the baby, you know, you, you just end up with wanting to reach the TV screen and murder him yourself. And mm-hmm. I think that what makes him such a, a good villain. And yet they set him up as being rather sympathetic. He says numerous times, you did this to me. Yeah, we saw his whole waking up and the whole lie that was being spun. He was, you know, he was just a confused human who had got injured, recovering. And it was betrayal on the part of Atlantis, no question. Everything that happened to the galaxy was the fault of Parson Beckett. Mm-hmm. He was playing God with a, a sentient species. And it bite him in the butt. Yep, it did. Yep. Michael Kenmore was a fantastic villain. Maybe a little over the top, a bit melodramatic at times, a showman. But he gave us some wonderful, wonderful creatures while he was doing his experiments. Yeah, some of his motivations probably aren't really that that good, but um, yeah. The retrovirus, you know, that Carson also came up with, that got developed to removing the need for the wraith to feed. Mm -hmm. That opened up some storylines. It's just a pity that he was intent on kidnapping Taylor's kid, doing experiments on him. <laughs> not all about the crazy, but not mine. And I'm going to go for category and a possible subcategory. Well, you haven't specified that villain is singular. I would go with the Janai in the general and Cowan in the specific. And I'm just being purely nationalist here. Okay. Because I, I like Colm. Colm, yeah. Well, was a good guest character. He could yeah. easily have been picked by any, any one of us. If only for the complete, oh, the Janai are a peaceful trading people. <laughs> and then the reveal, and the, those little wonderful triple shooter gun things. And they're, they're like whack-a-mole. You, you think you beat them, and they keep popping back up again. That's <laughs> why so I liked it. The Janai was just like, what we do, what we do. I know, we'll pull some Janai out from nowhere. They just spies everywhere. Yeah, it was just, and even Janai influenced people at I think they were actually a lot more uh, devious than they were given credit for. I know John underestimated them time and again. So I'm, go- I'm going with the Janai, unless you're forcing me to pick a person, in which case I'll go with Cameron. Well, I went for the easy option. Obviously, <laughs> you three didn't share my view, but as far as I'm concerned, the best villain in the show was Todd. I did consider mm-hmm. it, but I-, I thought I'd already kind of... Is he a villain or not? He's- yeah, yes, he's, he's, he's a villain. He's grey. He's dedicated to his own point of view, and he will sacrifice anybody and anything to reach that goal. Whether the obstacles or innocence, it doesn't matter to him. So you can call that morally grey if you want, but I think when push comes to shove, Todd will happily destroy a whole world if it suited his needs. Yeah, most of the time he's villainary, gets a plot going, and he has to go or turn good to get himself out of it or get us to help him. Out of his uh, issues. Yeah. You could never trust him. Never, yeah, ever no, trust him. No, do not turn your back on that, Rafe. <laughs> oh, he, he was the ultimate pragmatist. 
as mentioned, the first introduction with him and John was was brilliant, inspiring again. Fantastic writing. You know, a human and a wraith actually bonding after being imprisoned by a third party, learning that the wraith can actually give life as well as take it. That gave us the whole wraith worshippers further down the line. Mm-hmm. You've got a feeling that he should have been in some... Well, obviously, he was in a kind of a royal court anyway, but he would have fitted in the, you know, 15th century, 16th century, any court in Europe, you know, as the Grand Vizier or something like that, full of little schemes and power plays. When he took Taylor on board, when she disguised herself as a queen, you know, oh, we've got this great plan. It's going to work. It's going to be fantastic. And, oh, by the way, one minute, let me kill the queen. Right now, you're in charge. Did I tell you that? Sorry. (laughs) It was brilliant. I'm giving it Todd, of course, but Chris is such a brilliant actor. Yeah. Forget the fact that he played two other parts in Atlantis. He was Halling in early season, an Athosian, and he played a generic wraith as well, just one of the background wraith. It was in SG-1. Caprica, he was a wonderfully wicked doctor in Gotham. Died um, way too quick in Arrow. <laughs> I'm surprised there's no mention of the replicators so far in any of the villains here. You know, Oberon played off a pretty good mastermind villain as well. Again, that just emphasizes the fact that how complex five seasons worth. Mm-hmm. They jam-packed a lot of stuff into five seasons. Why, didn't, <laughs> yeah. why didn't we do like Todd decided and grab a few <laughs> ZPMs? Uh, yeah, yeah. Missed opportunities. Todd's wraith soldiers—they were expendable. If none of them got back, oh well, never mind. But if they succeeded, yeah, well, I did pick a couple more, you know, minor ones. I was never going to actually come out and pick these as my favourite villains, but I thought they were worth a mention. Neva Kessel in Identity, she uh, took communication stones, took over Jennifer Keller, knifed—well, not knifed—tried to ply to death Radic. I thought she was evil through and through. Mm-hmm. And. Tribal, the first officer of the Aurora, who was actually a wraith in disguise, but we didn't know that for a lot of the time. Okay, could this be four different answers? Maybe. Mostly hey. liked episode. Hey, pick me. Go on then, Alan. Like I said, I can't remember the name, but that really weird one with the fans and the mimes, and I just, oh, God. It, it was for Atlantis what Tanaga the Walls fell was for TNG. I just thought it was <laughs> I did not. I, I know you were on about uh, you were practically preening yourself over the wonderful uh, story. I just I thought, oh God, this is boring. Talking about the clown in the boat. Yeah, you got me stumped. What mimes? The people that were in the skin suits and these weird singing plants that had a symbiotic relationship <laughs> with them. That would be uh, one false step from SG One Season Three. No. No. Fairly certain this one, my character. Nah, I'm drawing a blank on that one myself. Yeah, the suits and... They, they didn't speak? That Stargate is you one. Is it? This is what I get with sleep deprivation. In that case, I'm going for my backup, least favourite, mostly for the latter five minutes. Season four closer. Bloody building falls on them. And then miraculously uh. survived. The premise was just mm. like, really? I mean, come on. That's kind of jumping the shark a bit. Somebody should you, you can't condemn The Last Man because of that last 10 second clip. That's a great episode. I can condemn Search and Rescue. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, whatever reason. If that's your episode, that's your episode. Yeah. Well, it's not, but apparently the episode effect wasn't in the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being left in there, correct? Yeah. So it'll have to do. Of course, it's being left in there. Anything that's personally embarrassing to me gets left in. This has been the premise of this podcast since almost the beginning. So I'll go next. Mine. 
I think I finally narrowed it down to the episode The Real World, where Weir wakes up in the nut house and they're trying to convince her that there's not actually a Stargate and she's actually imagining it's all. Yep, I considered that one starred Alan Rook meant I could not pick it. Mm. <laughs> it was one of those one-offs that just felt out of place. And it also had Richard Dean Anderson in it. It did. So that's almost sacrilege, Thomas. Almost. 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 <laughs> my, my second choice was Irresistible. <laughs> that's going That's going to be mentioned in a minute. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I had three. I had that and uh, The Tower. I thought The Tower might have snuck mm. into someone's bottom. But uh, I'd found it out mainly for all the stuff McKay was doing underground. Yeah, Irresistible. I, comedy is uh, selective, and I just do not find Richard Kind funny in that episode at all. He might possibly return for most disliked characters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I just... That episode's on permanent blocking. Mm. Okay. Now, was it that one or the follow-up episode with his character where he introduced the person field? That was a follow-up. Yeah, follow-up when he was a hero of the city. I didn't mind that it, he wasn't too abrasive in that. that yeah. Irres- yeah. Irresistible, just the way everyone was loving him and just, I don't care what plants they're on. <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't stand it. I like Richard Kind. I didn't mind the character. I can understand how some people have problems with that episode because he's using drugs to influence the way people think about him. So he's sleeping with women who are married, who are being <laughs> roofied, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Wives. Yeah, it's it's not something I ever considered, first view, second view, but it's been pointed out, and I, now I can't, can't not consider it. That's your worst episode. I can't argue the point. Not yeah, I, I understand if people do like him and his comedy, and that's that's fine. Is he or Ergo? No, not for me. Uh, I've re-watched Ergo the other night, I didn't mind. <laughs> Why would anyone do that to themselves? <laughs> the whimsical nature of Ergo. Yes, Dom DeLuise. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if only to watch the guard who is not staring at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing everything he can not to stare at Dom DeLuise as he walks past him all the time. <laughs> do not react to this man. <laughs> man is not here. At least we didn't have a Cloverdale. Yeah. <laughs> I've never I'm seen it. We I, didn't. I cannot imagine I'll ever waste time with it. Yeah. I reckon at season six we would have got a Cloverdale in there somewhere. Right, my most disliked episode. I basically went through the entire list going, yes, 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 yes. No, yes, 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 yes. First off, Charles End, I gave that a pass because it's first season. Mm-hmm. The long goodbye, the arc, the game, the seer, I was seeing a pattern here. Any episode starting the weak episodes, filler episodes. Definitely filler. Yeah. Outsiders, I wasn't overly impressed with. But I cannot not pick Inquisition because it's an awful clip show. Mm-hmm. Flashback, it's cliched, it's cheap. I know Woolsey saves the day. He Woolsey saves the day by being a politician. That is not what Stargate is all about. I know George Lucas considered Star Wars was all about diplomacy and uh, Senate and political manoeuvring, <laughs> but that is not what Stargate is about. Clip shows are a hard one. And they normally do them so it's, well. Yeah, it's definitely the worst. <laughs> the worst clip show we've got. But Woolsey's arguments does a pretty darn good job. Oh, yeah. The loyal ones. <laughs> I, can, I can look after them. It was interesting, the fact that the Jedi were behind this long-range plan to weaken Atlantis. You know, you, you finally thought you got rid of the Jedi, and boom, they're back again. Yeah. Yeah, and they'd thought that they could kidnap us, 
do whatever, and then, you know, rightio, we'll get in aligned with these other planets, the other cultures, and uh, do it by the book. They can't resist and can get rid of them that way. Four different episodes from each one of us, so not unexpected. Yeah. Up next is the most disliked character. This should be interesting. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll save you because I'm pretty not sure what's coming. I'll kick off. I'm going for Sergeant Bates, played by Dean Marshall. He was early season Atlantis. He was originally captured along with a few other of the personnel by, by the Wraith and taken to the high ship. From then on, he hated the Wraith. He hated all the aliens. He was the one that gave Taylor a lot of trouble and uh, mm-hmm. who ended up getting his arse kicked. <laughs> he came back much later in the season as Agent Bates. A much better character yeah. and better rounded character. So I'm specifying it's only Sergeant Bates that I really, really disliked. Yeah. Very abrasive. If I might go. Go on then. I'm going with a controversial choice. Rainbow Sun Franks. <laughs> he gets an honorable mention. I possibly might pick him in two categories, which is wasted opportunity. But I just think they overplayed the whole addict thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it was just, oh... They get, it seemed they didn't seem to know what they were doing with them. Well, they just they no. pretty much admitted that themselves, hadn't they? The character they created just didn't work in the four-person dynamic. A military chain of command where one of the people in a four-man team has got no option but to do exactly what his commander tells him. Yeah, the makeup of SG-1 was a lot different than, sorry, SG-1 versus the Shepherd's team, whatever you want to call them, denote them as. You know, SG-1 you had military then you had heel also being military but alien you know which kind of mimics taylor and shepherd then you had the scientist mckay and carter but then you had the enigma fourth character which you had jackson which filled in all the history information and you know helped out with science but you have Raymond's son franks and his character just didn't yeah didn't fit the mold well that's it you couldn't have a daniel character in atlantis anyway because They'd find it hard linking any of these cultures back to Earth, but um, everyone lives in tents. Yeah, just having that young lieutenant, like, early episodes, his eyes are big, he's out there on the frontline team. By, by the time the siege comes around, it's, his number's up. Yeah, but without, without Lieutenant Ford, we may not have got Ronan, so... Gotta be thankful for something. They did at least address the issue. They gave Ford an in as this kind of rebel. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a terrible return for him, the two-parter in The Lost Boys, wasn't it? Yeah. But, again, I, I can't argue the fact they made a mistake with his character. Not the actor. Can't criticise the actor at all. Rainbow Sun Franks. The, but the character didn't work, and they got rid of him fairly quickly. Right, then, we're fairly flying through this. Mention on mine. I mentioned Lucius Lovin just because, you know, I didn't really care for his character. But I thought, I thought of... you forgot. <laughs> <laughs> But no, my other most disliked character probably would be Kavanaugh. <laughs> I, he rubbed me the wrong way from the very beginning. I mean, everything's he's like, a, here's a list of things that you've done wrong. You know, it's like, he's supposed who, to, where, though. where is it your place to point this out? You're, you're not the Iowa. You're just a scientist. He was making notes as well along the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. A diary. On this day, they did this instead of this. And everything was personal yeah. to him. Everything was an affront. You should know that making notes about superiors is going to get you shipped off to Antarctica or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to want you under their, under their command or anything if you're going to sit there and take notes and complain every time a decision's made. Yeah, I would have loved to pick Kavanaugh, played by Ben Cotton, for, for some category. But 
I did, did enjoy watching the character, even though I can't say I liked the character. He was fun to watch. I like because he keeps coming back too. Like <laughs> after that season one, like he's out there, he's gone. Next minute he's back on the uh, Daedalus, and then he's on midway over this. And then yeah, next minute he's back in the midway. Press this button. I know what I'm doing. What have you done? <laughs> Self-destruct. <laughs> there goes that six billion dollar project. Yeah, I can't say enough more about Lucius. It, uh... um, I'm pretty sure you could. <laughs> It'd probably require a lot of beeps and censoring, but Lucius was loud in your face. Um, no doubt that's why they hired Richard Kind. He was one of those actors who could play that. Yet, you look back at Stargate the movie, totally different. Yeah, just that first episode, like as I said before, that second episode, when he's playing the superhero for the town, I had no issue with, with that episode, and it wouldn't have been me bottom from one if it was the only one he'd starred in. But uh, yeah. That was one of the beauties, you know, we're in his personal force field, mm-hmm. and Collier, you know, just... Can you drown? Can you breathe yeah. underwater? <laughs> right then, let's roll on to the next one, which is missed opportunity relating to a character or a plot point. I'll start this because I've got it written in big letters with three exclamation points. <laughs> season six. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're done enough in season five. I still don't understand why it got cancelled. Granted, the show wasn't pulling in the numbers on a Friday night as it had been before, but a lot of shows weren't back then because they were mm. refusing to look at any sort of uh, time-shifted DVR viewing. No question that the writers had the stories if they needed them, mainly because I've read the excellent Stargate Atlantis series of books, starting with Homecoming, which takes place exactly at the end of Season 5 and continues the story for eight novels. I need to read those. They are brilliant. I'm halfway through the first one. (laughs) (laughs) They are truly brilliant. Do they actually feel like they're part of the series, not just somebody that's written something that's tagged onto the series? feels natural. It really does. I hear a doorbell. Well, I'll go and answer it then. If Brad or um, Thomas wants I, to carry on. Oh, your doorbell. I, I don't know if it's my doorbell or not. You can't tell. That, that can't possibly be the food I just ordered. That was literally 30 <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my biggest missed opportunity, and it was season five, in the Dayless variations where Dayless was shifting through different realities, they came across yeah. that one alien race. You you saw the big symbol on the side of the ship, but you have no clue who they were. And they pretty well kicked the butts of Atlantis and doing a good job of kicking Dayless's butts, too. Mm. Yeah. They had technology that was equal, if not superior. And physically, they were impressive, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Some sort of technology embedded in them as well. They took multiple hits with the energy weapons fire. It would have been interesting if they'd uh, pursued that or found that species in our reality. Mm-hmm. I'd always wondered if they were actually the um, maybe a different version of the evolution of the wraith. Instead of human life being planted onto the world with the Eratus bug, it may have been some sort of sentient tech or, or something similar, and that might be why we'd never seen them, because we got the wraith instead. Or maybe a mix of Asgard and Eratus. Yeah, I suppose, again, season six probably would have. Which brings in my missed opportunity. I thought the Asgard were a bit throwaway, the other Asgard. But yeah, let's have a two-parter, and then let's never mention them again. Mm -hmm. These are highly advanced technological species. They're in the process of battling galaxy-wide war. You don't think they might maybe be of some use or help? Unless they're trying to avoid a deus ex machina. But let's show all this really cool tech. We can very clearly... I mean, if they can do what they did to Atlantis' shields and so on, they could kick the rates' arse. And they just didn't. They didn't want to, because they ran away from the wraith. That's why they were living on that planet they said was pretty much killing them. 
Mm-hmm. They hid. They couldn't risk any more ships. There were limited people, limited technology. They didn't have the manufacturing base to actually expand into the galaxy. They were running yeah, scared. All the ships were destroyed. Yeah. yeah, that one hit on Atlantis only worked because they knew Atlantis inside and out. My guess is they haven't been up against a race ship since the war. And they were running against the same issues that the Milky Way or whatever galaxy that the Asgards were actually in. You know, they were owned out, basically. Yeah. They were being a little bit more brutal when it came to exploiting other races. Obviously, they did experiments that our Asgard frowned upon, similar to what Loki were doing. Hmm. Again, they had some sort of technology that may link. Who knows? That may have linked to that other alien species. Fine. Let's go with the uh, WMD option. Hmm. Rodney blew up half the solar system. Any particular reason <laughs> that wasn't used as a weapon against the Wraith? Uh, because it blew up. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure Rodney to replicate it. That was a huge, huge complex. I don't think yeah. Earth technology could replicate that at all. The best they came up with was that energy transfer, which was based on the same technology. Yeah, that worked really well. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's been built in Atlantis. We got the Ace Rimmer version of Rodney McKay. (laughs) Yeah. We had all four. Someone missed it. Oh, no. Yeah, mine. Um, I went a bit broader, and I probably shouldn't have. I went the Atlantis itself. Okay, we got the wormhole driving it left and flew at the end, but um, for a city they claimed numerous times to be the size of Manhattan. I know they had to pepper in that one or two episodes every now and then where they discovered a new room, but... I think they could have gone a lot further. Those in Rising and that where it, it seemed like Atlantis had its own personality. What would you call it? The observation room? Or the uh, hologram room? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even when Daniel comes back in the Pegasus Project, sort of, you get Morgan in there as well. But I felt, yeah, the city itself could have had more personality. They could easily have done a full season just exploring the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know, I know they, they couldn't. You sort of can't really do that, but... Um, they peppered in episodes here and there where they found labs or flooded areas. For someone that's 10,000 years old, it probably had more of a story to tell. You know, and after five years, they were still finding things, you know, as you see in uh, First Contact Lost Tribe. You know, they find this lab that nobody knew was here. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, more damage was done to the city in five years of human caretakership than 10,000 years down at the bottom of the ocean. I wonder the agents want it back. Get out. <laughs> now, it, not missed opportunity so much, but... Why didn't we ever find out how, and I'm sure they had plenty of times to search for it, but how to make more ZPMs? You know, that surely was somewhere in the ancient database. I'm sure applied through most of it. If not, McKay could have come up with some algorithm to search for it himself in the ancient database. But surely there would have been manufacturing, you know, somewhere on the city to it's make those as well as make the ancient weapons device. Isn't that um, what they were trying to do with the energy transfer thing? No. They are trying to place the ZPMs. For a better power source, won't they? Was this running on something admitting this is something I can't do? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think with the ZPMs, it's like if you're building a microchip, there are so many steps you need to go through before you get the technology to build the microchip. You go through valve technology, then you get transistors, which are still huge. Then you manage to scale it down. So there were 100 transistors on a piece of silicon, 1,000, 10,000. And each step allows you to develop and design new machinery, which can exponentially increase or decrease the size of your chips that you make until mm-hmm. you get to the point where you can build a ZPM. They may know the theory behind creating a ZPM, but they haven't got the tools to do it, and they've never found the tools to do it, which could have been addressed if they'd have found some place in the city. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and surely Atlantis would have had. I mean, it's, it's a floating, or it's a flying city. 
surely they would have had some type of manufacturing there in the city to make those as well as the drones. Yeah, it yeah. should be totally self-sufficient. Yeah. If you're going to build a city that big, you don't want to have to have it returned to base every six months to resupply. That's oh. when we make the replicators. They've got 12 of them. They've replicated the city. Replicators got millions of them. Yeah. They've got as many as they want. <laughs> Surely if they replicated Atlantis and built their own version, well, there is a uh, ZPM manufacturing room somewhere. Mm-hmm. Again, season six, we might have got that finally, but I think the biggest thing is if we had three fully powered ZPMs, well, that whole MacGuffin of the Atlantis being the most powerful piece of technology in the galaxy, who's going to stop us? Mm-hmm. I recently watched that, I think it's Space Dock or, or Space Charge or whatever one you shared, where they were talking about the Aurora-class warship. Yeah. And, you know, they mentioned how, you know, in there they would have had manufacturing plans for drones, you know, in order to keep it a fully active battleship. So surely Atlantis being the size of Manhattan would have had something of that <laughs> nature. You would have thought so, yeah. It totally makes sense. Well, that's like the tower as well, where we see the, the drone storage facility, like one room with... Two dozen drones in racks. Like, yeah. how does that? How does that even defend? Yeah, behind that little door there, there's a million of them. You know, mm. but we're not going to open that door because mm-hmm. we can't afford the CG budget. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like going on the military base and finding a ammo box with a thousand rounds. Kill a thousand zombies. <laughs> as mentioned as well, the wormhole drive. It came out of nowhere, which was a shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason we know why they needed to wrap it up. And the only way they could get it to work was for Atlantis to get to Earth within, I don't know how long, half an hour, something like that, maybe. But the wormhole drive works in science fiction as a whole because that sort of technology is used in other franchises. Mm-hmm. If it had been drip-fed to us throughout the fifth season, I would have bought into it perfectly. But, again, there was still an opportunity to use that in the sixth season. Yeah, but could you just yeah. say it's the ancients, they got the best hyperdrive of anyone else, and yeah. it's a big city, it's a big hyperdrive? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's not Babylon 5. You're not going to get drip red stuff over 5 years. <laughs> and then again, we get the power requirement. Like, okay, well, why does SGA have to take part in Pegasus when it can be in the Milky Way? Like, are you not going to call it to Earth every time you need to uh, go on the defence but opens that possibility? Well, it doesn't have to be sort of sitting in one galaxy all the time. Mm-hmm. All right, shall we uh, move along? Yep. Yes. Well, next to last, because we're saving the best to last, but this is the best oh, yeah. piece of technology, small or large, in Stargate Atlantis. I'm going. I'm going. God, I've forgotten the name that Rodney gave her, but the replicator bomb person. Fran. Yeah, Fran. She she came on. If only because, again, it's more that it is a piece of technology, it is a tool, it's recognised as a tool, but it has a name, and the sheer, I think it humanises the arrogance out of Rodney. You know, so someone who's great, who appears to be sentient and talking and wants to sacrifice themselves, and this is entirely on him. And I think it's just, it's a beautiful character moment and it humanizes the technology. And I think she goes off and it works to a large extent. And it's just, I can't think of any other, I mean, I presume we can't include the Stargate because that'd just be silly. No. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm going with Fran. And they found a good way to bring her back for a second episode too. Yeah. So, yeah. It was worth it for when they beamed it down to the city and she just walked in. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're all going to die now. <laughs> mm, big puddle of cells. I'll go next. I I had a hard time with this one as well. But I went for the uh, the shield, the geothermal shield technology in Inferno. Mm. 
you got a ready ready made power source in the geothermal energy be handy on any of our beta sites or anything like that yes don't run it all the time again coming from inferno which is on my top 10 list yeah okay you're not going to park the city next to a volcano but it sort of gives you that opportunity to have a beta site or whatever else and have it fully protected by a shield without zpms or sort of known power issues well, they do use the geothermal energy with Atlantis at one time with that deep water platform. Yes. You know, in order to yep. you know launch a city off planet. They do, yeah. And then they wreck it. <laughs> yes, yeah. they do. Better technology that could easily find its use on Earth within the next few decades. I mean, I think they experimented with it by pumping water through fractures in in a volcano, letting the heat of the volcano heat the water up, and then power steam turbines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my technology, as much as we've said we hate and love this character all at once, the personal shield introduced by Lucius Lovin. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what that can do for you, you know, just imagine an entire team outfitted with those. You know, they're an unstoppable force. You know, and you see what McKay has to end up doing basically to save the city, you know, and kind of sacrificing himself, so showing some personal motivation or maybe personal try to uh, save my own butt hmm. yeah the personal shields i think could have been a lot more but where do they come from because are they atlantean technology or are they something different the fact that they got a mental component makes me think they must be atlantean otherwise yeah they sort of got that web web around the clear bits they rely on some limited mental control you know you've got to will it off so somewhere you need the gene that's why Beckett gave Lucius a gene. Yeah, so they've got to be activated yeah. first, then anybody can mm. use them. Okay. okay, yep. Yeah. But even, yeah, it adds for, it adds for some comedic parts in that first episode when Rodney's got <laughs> yeah. on, like, I can't drink, I can't eat. <laughs> yeah, but I can't throw him off the balcony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can I shoot him? <laughs> <laughs> we'll try that one later, John. <laughs> yeah, a very good piece, very useful piece of technology. Very, anybody that has watched the animated series of Star Trek will know that they were some sort of light support belt which generates a field around them. Very similar to what the uh, shield does. Hmm. But in this case, the Star Trek one actually allows you to breathe, whereas the <laughs> the Atlantis one is a little more permeable. And that's why you mm-hmm. can drown while you're wearing it. It's a bit more selective. I suppose that you wouldn't drown. I, yeah, it'd be an interesting one because he pours water on him and he can't. Water doesn't penetrate the shield, so I wonder how he would go underwater. Well, that's it. McKay was that frightened that scared he basically his terror was making the shield bulletproof yeah that's where you'd need the fine control being able to understand the technology that means you've got to be that's why i think it was designed by the atlanteans work with their minds but again and something that really wasn't explored too much mm-hmm. it could have become like a zap gun part of an sg team's standard kit yeah yeah but then you'd have to load you'd have to dumb the power down somehow you wouldn't be able to have it It'd have to yeah. fail at some point, otherwise, yeah, like beaming technology, you know. You can't be able to beam out every time it got dangerous. Oh, there's interference. Yeah, in the, you know, yeah Star Trek had to do that constantly. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, oh, yes, we, we have to come up with an excuse why we can't beam now. Yeah, it's a Thursday, can't beam. Oh, damn. So why didn't they bring Zats to Pegasus? <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we asked that question any number of times. It was an established mission. They had everything set ready to go. They knew they were going. Mm-hmm. They took weapons. They knew they were going to have to come under fire. Maybe. Bring your craters, that's along. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so the wind. No. Yeah, maybe. It's ours. <laughs> <laughs> On your own guns. I went for the 
I admit I went for the easy answer. I've got to go for the Atlantis, the city ship. Mm. I would have liked to have gone for a Wraith hive ship. The organic aspect of that is fascinating. Especially when we get to ZPM to power it. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I can't ignore Atlantis and her sister ships either. She is pinnacle of technology that is mind-boggling. So wait, if Atlantis left Earth and went to Pegasus, does that mean the city ship that was in the tower was built in Pegasus? I would assume so. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. There's no guarantee there weren't, there weren't more than two of them. They could have built hundreds. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That one, the replicas have might be a seized one. They might not have actually built that and just built their tech around it. Maybe. We will never know. Again, season six. That's <laughs> <laughs> rust-resistant, too. Mm. Although, yeah. it does look like shabby concrete on the outside when you get up close. Wide <laughs> <laughs> establishing shots aren't not close ones. <laughs> is, that, is that all of us? Have we missed anybody? Right then, let's move. Hmm? Sorry, I'm really, really, really hungry while I'm waiting on the field, so I'm eating something else so as me up the mic so you didn't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> let's move back to what was going to be the first question, but we've saved till last. Which is your favourite or best episode of Stargate Atlantis? I think you should answer this one first, Mike. You know what I'm going to say? <laughs> I have several ideas, but for assorted reasons, which are too complicated to go into here, I don't actually know you that well. <laughs> Presumably you'd have ten, you'd just have to narrow down one. Oh, yeah. th- this was easy. This was so easy. Ah. My favourite episode of Stargate Atlantis is Vegas. Yep. Season 4, episode 19. Sorry, season 5, episode 19. I know it so well, I don't even know what season it's in. <laughs> <laughs> Written directed by Rob C. Cooper. Totally out of place, and yeah. that is why I like it. I would not have liked to have seen this every week. I would not have been looking for a CSI Atlantis as a standalone <laughs> alternate reality episode. It is phenomenal. They bring back a lot of guest characters, Neil Jackson, Jody Thompson, Common Moore, Gary Jones, Paul Jarrett. They get cameos from Frank Vincent and Steve Shapira from Sopranos. Behind-the-scenes people, Charlie Cohen, Joel Goldsmith... Professional poker players, Roy Winston and Todd Brunson. Soundtrack is awesome. Marilyn Manson, the Rolling Stones and Johnny Cash. Oh, the the Wraith. The Wraith is just beautiful. Well, why not? Of course, Marilyn Manson, because that's basically <laughs> a human Wraith. Well, that's well, it. I... They got a Leo nomination for the makeup, which was basically a Wraith putting human makeup on. Yeah. And that is just mind-boggling again. They did get three Leo wins, cinematography, direction and picture editing. The whole episode is fantastic. They even get some A-10s from the Air Force in, which look brilliant. Yeah. Oh, come on, it's the Warthog. It is possibly the ugliest flying plane it, on that, the planet. I prefer the A-10 Thunderbolt. When it has you in its sights, you are respecting it. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a big gun. It's... <laughs> Reading off that whole cast list, you just, I just realised that this is uh, Cloverdale, and I don't know what to think about that. It could be, yeah, it <laughs> could yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they're yeah. not playing the same characters, so... no. We've got we've got a little bit of wiggle room. There you go. That's my bit done. And although it's set in a different dimension, reality. You call it, yeah, reality, it, it does have effects on that final episode. Oh, yeah. yes, it does. Yeah, they find Earth. Or well, that one ship finds Earth. And i got to say, it gave me a WTF moment on the level of there was a Voyager 2-parter where the mines are wiped and they're working on some sort of industrial planet. Yeah. And in the pre-credit sequence, you see a guy from the back, and he's telling a story, and he bursts out laughing. The camera pans around, and it's Tuvok. And I was watching it with a mate, and we both went in utter surprise. Tuvok? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the effect Vegas had on I me. Mean, it was like, wait, wait, what? 
there, I thought, what the hell is going on? I was waiting for it to be revealed as an undercover. I was going to say, huh? Yeah, Jones come back to Earth for a specific job. Yeah. But no, no it's just get going just, and going and going. Yeah, I'm, I've been slightly torn. I'm going to have to let you guys pick because I can't choose between them. McKay and Mrs. Miller, because he introduces the sister. And Sunday, because I just mm. love Carson Beckett. So I, I, I'm, I, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't pick between. I can't pick between the two. I admit, uh, most of my favorite moments are moments that humanize and characterize Rodney. Sunday made my top three list. It's a, it's it just a powerful episode. You know, you see the interactions between Carson and the entire crew, and McKay really wanting to go, not wanting to go fishing with them, and then tragedy strikes and yeah. everything. You know, that's one of the few episodes that actually made me a bit teary-eyed because of how how much the character just grabs your heartstrings and pulls. Although, I gotta say, if you're holding something explosive which you kill you, you run to the damn thing. It's just walking <laughs> casually along, you know? You drop oh. it and you run! You run! This should kill you. You don't know when it's gonna blow up. It's just um de dum de dum de dum But it's, it's pressure sensitive. If it bounces just right, it can go boom. And there isn't a ticking clock at that point either. They just know it's going to go boom. They just don't know when. I probably would have opened up a window and just chunked it. Let it yeah. fall into the water and go boom. It, the, the, the act of chunking it might cause it to go boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose, especially watching it now after knowing what happens. It sort of, how he plays early, like he's getting heartstrings pulled left, right and centre. Just the way he's talking to people, wanting to go fishing. You sort of see it coming, but, you know, a very good episode. Mm-hmm. It reminded me that there was an episode of CSI New York. And remember that short Jewish guy with a real New York accent and a pair of glasses? There's in CSI New York. You've ever seen it? it? There's a scene where he's chatting to his neighbor, who's this you know, beautiful, attractive single mother. And our kid's like, you know, stupidly tussle-haired and adorable and about seven. And he's just got a new bike. And I'm assuming you guys know the term beauty shot. Yep. Mm-hmm. But half speed slow-mo. And there's a beauty shot of the kid walking down the corridor of the apartment building, heading towards the lift with his new bike. And I thought, he's dead. Yeah, I was right. But yeah, because it's just, you see, you think, nope, not going to live. So that, that kind of ties back into what you were saying about. So yeah, so yeah, I, I can't, sorry. I just, I can't pick between those two. So somebody else want to go? Yeah. Mine was a bit of a toss-up. Um, I, I have a top three, uh, one of which is Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Inferno. I've always liked that episode. You get the first introduction of, well, not the first introduction, but you get the introduction of, hey, here's this ship. It's not complete, and we're going to warp out of it as the planet's exploding. Yeah. yeah. Since you mentioned Inferno, can I get a late, definite honorable mention for one-off character? The scientist? Uh, no, Peter Woodward. Oh, yep. In the tower. The vizier. He mentioned Inferno as like, you know, one-off characters that are never seen again. Everything I thought I thought Peter was wonderful because the betrayal was just like, wait, what? You think, of course he betrayed you as a vizier. What did you expect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my other one that makes my top list is Trinity, where Rodney blows yep. up a solar system. <laughs> like more so for the uh, dressing down where he gives him at the end of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was when we realised the officers are not soundproof. Yes. Good episode, Trinity was. Yeah, it's just sort of one of those things like uh, the Tormented Tandle. It's just you're trying so hard to get it to work, you're going to uh, lose your life in the mm. process. Showed one of McKay's worst traits, the arrogant of the man at times. 
The ancients didn't know how yeah, to do it. The ancients who actually did all the Built math it. for this over generations, and you've come along and think you know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They took it down for a reason. Yeah, it's not working because we're using their uh, math. We'll just use mine. Yeah. <laughs> It'll work. It'll work. I now. mean, it was impressive, the fact that in orbit there were dozens of wraith ships, debris. You know, the system had powered the weapon. But it's a big gun. There was a fundamental flaw, unfortunately. <laughs> Everybody mm. on the planet suffered for it. Some fantastic CGI, some a great character piece on Obsession, and maybe even from John, who allowed him to go that far. Yeah. yeah. Let's not forget the obvious Oppenheimer references, otherwise they wouldn't have told it the way they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the the arrogance of scientists who... And in fairness, it's not as if Rodney didn't know his work was going to have military applications. He didn't even have the excuse that Oppenheimer had, that, oh, this is just pure science. No. He knew full well it was going mm-hmm. to be used. It was designed to be used, so he doesn't even have that excuse. Bad, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they'd take that gun and put it on the front of every ship if they could. Oh, yeah. You can only fire it once. Yeah, you only need to fire it once. Hit that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I suppose I copped out a little bit. I went the uh, the siege free parter. There's just so much going on with the ancient satellite weapon. Um, defending the city itself. We got Rafe coming. Oh, we stopped them too. Or stopped that one. Oh, then there's three or seven. I can't remember the number coming. <laughs> yeah, just we get the uh, rail guns with Mark Nine reactors. Just yeah, ground ground troops. We get an incursion fighting the Rafe hand-to-hand, so... Yeah, we get the shield, shield up being fired upon continuously. Yeah, yep, great spectacle there. Pull back to what Atlantis must have been like 10,000 years ago, where that sort of bombing was kept up for weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yep. They had three working ZPMs then. Yeah. And possibly the ability to make more. <laughs> yep, I can't criticise any of them, even those where you couldn't pick just one. <laughs> Yeah, well... <laughs> no, I think I put the Siege yeah. as, a, as one selection into. The votes were any multi-part episodes, certainly any multi-part episodes which actually broke the mould and had the same name <laughs> yeah. for yeah. each part. Right then, let's, uh, let's have a look at the poll results. We had 80 responses. Hey, not bad. A little disappointed. Fairly certain I voted. <laughs> I, I seem to remember, it has been an incredibly packed month, as you know, Mike. Yes. But the bowl went up in October, so... <laughs> I'm moving countries. Leave me alone. Right then. The top ten. In at number ten. Joint. I would say in at number eight, I, I think. I, I was thinking... Hang on, we didn't have an episode called Joint. <laughs> right. Eight, nine, and ten. With 16 votes each were The Storm, Before I Sleep, Satida, Grace Under Fire, and The Eye. Wow, okay. thought Before I Sleep would be a lot higher. Yeah. Number seven. I wasn't going to do a top ten, I was just going to do top three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, joint eight, with 16 votes each, The Storm, Before I Sleep, Satida, Great Under Fire, and The Eye. Number seven is Midway, with 19 votes. Yep. Joint seven, or number six, it Jesus, I'm counting upwards, and I'm just numbers, numbers, stuff. <laughs> I probably... Uh, <laughs> right, let me write this down. Right, one, two, three... Joint fourth. Do you want us to just quickly go through what our top tens were? Yeah, good idea. Don't even have mine. <laughs> no, no, nor do I. So this will be very quick. <laughs> oh, also oh, filler for you, Mike. Um, my top ten, and this is in no no order whatsoever. Uh, Thirty-eight minutes before I sleep. Seed free parter. Trinity. Aurora. Inferno. First strike. Bill. My sins. Midway. The last man. And the devil's variations. I had to uh, leave a lot out. There's a few honourable mentions. 
overarching plot in there. But there are a lot of them are just one-off episodes too. Something occurs to me what that Doba might have been. What? It might have been my brother and his kids arriving and I'm being rude and sitting up here. And this is a man who gives me hassle for just being nice. <laughs> okay, then. The top ten episodes in our poll joint was The Eye, Grace Under Pressure, Zathida, Before I Sleep, and The Storm. Next was Midway and The Return, parts one and two, both with 19 votes. Joint fourth was The Siege, parts one, two, and three, and The Shrine, both with 23 votes. The third most popular episode of our poll was Vegas, with 24 votes. I think you might have voted for that. I might have voted for that. More than once? No, just once. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really, not often. <laughs> Second was McKay and Mrs. Miller with 25 Yay. votes. And the favourite episode with 31 votes, Rising. Mm, yeah, yeah. Not, not Sunday, then. Sunday came in with 14 votes. Not even in the top ten. Not even in the top ten. I thought, I thought Sunday would have been SGA's window of opportunity. Well, apparently not. Apparently not. So, thank you, everybody, for voting. I will be putting in the results of the prize draw when I edit this podcast. But for now, I'm going to have to uh, sort through them, make sure, randomise everything so we get a nice fair selection. Pick one of these things which monitors decaying radioactive atom. <laughs> and How did Grace you, under you, pressure? Grace under pressure, joint seventh or joint sixth. 16 votes. Okay. I'm sorry, guys, I really do have to run. So I'm going to sign off at this point. Come Right then, we uh amazing. It's only going to be a couple of minutes. We're already meandered all over the place. <laughs> As you've been listening to the look back at Stargate Atlantis, we have got the results of the uh, listener poll. You have heard the actual favourite episode results so far as we've gone through the episode. Now we're having the draw, well, the draw for the prize. Prize draw, in fact. Yeah, I said draw, and I thought, that's wrong, isn't it? And of course, no, prize comes first. We have got 38 people who left contact information, so all those got included into the shuffle. I have randomised the names. So for the uh, big prize, which is going to be similar to uh, last year's Dog ASG1 goodie box, this one is more Atlantis-themed. It's just got a few bits and bobs in it. It'll be something very nice for a Stargate Atlantis fan. I'll leave the actual details until after the event or when the, if the person wants to actually reveal what they've won. Mm. Right then, Alan, number between a 1 and 38. I'm tempted to be very lazy and just go with the date. Well, tempted well, or not, TikTok. Instead, decided to pick it on the basis of the number of my friends that Facebook is telling me is currently online for Messenger, which is 17. 17. That seems suitably random. That is suitably random. Mayor Stormborn. Someone who's committed to an iTunes review, I take it. Stormborn. What's is that Game of Thrones or Oh yeah, that's Game of Thrones. Uh, that's that, that's Daenerys. Right. Mayor Stormborn. I'll be getting in touch shortly. Uh, I thought you watched Game of Thrones. Yeah, I've read a lot of fantasy over the years. <laughs> okay then, we'll have a, a couple more names just for a kind of a consolation prize. If you would on two more numbers. Oh I can spread. In that case, 29, because it's my birthday. 29, Lottro. Go on. Oh, six. Number six, Sadie, 13. I heartily approve. <laughs> it turns out I'm quite... Thank you, Alan, for picking out those three names. I will be in touch shortly. Actually, I'll be in touch 
probably just after I release the episode, because I want you to listen. I want everybody to listen to see if they've won. Yes. Normally the way it goes, and it's nice to have the website and everything back up and running, although there are many pages that are still missing images, broken links. How WordPress organises the FTP locations is beyond me. <laughs> I mean, oh. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we, we picked WordPress because it were easy to update and maintain, purportedly, until, of course, it goes wrong. It is. Different plugins tend to put stuff in different places. Marvelous. Yes. We'll return you to your regular programming, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Cheers, Alan. Bye-bye. I know it's been a while, but next week we are going to be looking at a Stargate Universe episode, Malice, with our guest Stephen from Homeskirt. Have a listen to the promo, and then tune in next week. Alliance members are locked down except Simeon. He killed Gil. On the next all-new Stargate Universe. Give me a gun. Eli. Revenge. Run! Can be a very dangerous game. I'll let you live, but next time I won't. Stargate Universe. All new this Tuesday at 9, only on Sci-Fi. If you do want to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear from you. Here are the ways. You can email us, including an audio message, using gatecastpodcast at gmail.com. And we have groups and pages on both Facebook and Google+. You can search for us using the generic Stargate, or more specifically, Gatecast. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio, under Gatecast. And we simply swoon when we get an iTunes rating and review. They help the show get promotion on that service. Twitter seems to be popular, and you can find us at the Gatecast, which is one word. And finally, there is our main website, gatecast.co.uk, which has a variety of contact and links for keeping our Stargate family all together. Okay then, folks, thank you very much for joining us for this Stargate Atlantis retrospective. A very big thank you to Brad and Thomas. Yes, sir. Very well. Always a pleasure to talk to both of you. Uh, Thank you for putting up with all the hoopla surrounding this recording. It was an interesting task getting it all around. (laughs) (laughs) Spending multiple countries here, multiple time zones. Okay then. This was one of the bonus episodes. My guess is this will be the final one before we return to Stargate Universe. So I hope you join us next week. Congratulations to the winners of the prize draw. We'll be in touch. But until then, I've been Mike. I've been Alan. I've been Brad. And Thomas. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. And it's goodbye for me. Bye. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever. Bye.